Good morning. It's Friday, May 12th. I'm Shamita Basu. This is Apple News Today. On today's show, why the U.S. is closely watching Turkey's presidential election, the search for accountability in the killing of Palestinian-American journalist Shireen Abu Akla, and the supply chain magic that gets all those Mother's Day flowers delivered. But first, let's take a quick look at some big stories in the news. A debt ceiling meeting between President Biden and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is postponed until next week. There are signs that shifting today's meeting could mean that behind the scenes, their staffers may be closer to striking a deal. Both McCarthy and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer signal that progress is happening in closed-door talks. Still, the clock is ticking for a possible U.S. default if they can't reach an agreement. Today at the G7 summit in Japan, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen talked to Bloomberg about the importance of raising the debt ceiling. What global markets and American households and businesses need to see is that we have a Congress that's committed um, to paying the bills that we have incurred as a consequence of our legislation, that we're not a deadbeat country. Let's switch now to U.S. immigration policy, where strict new border regulations are now in effect. As we've talked about on the show this week, the pandemic-era border policy, Title 42, is over. As of today, there are new rules on asylum meant to deter attempts to cross the border illegally. The L.A. Times reports, in the hours leading up to midnight last night, migrants gathered near ports of entry at the southern border, hoping to enter the U.S. In other news, a federal judge says that a ban on selling handguns to 18 to 20-year-olds is unconstitutional. The new opinion says that since people can vote and serve in the military at 18, they're entitled to similar Second Amendment protections as people 21 and older. It's the latest chapter in the current fight over putting in new age restrictions for gun purchases. In New York City, there are now criminal charges in the death of an unhoused man on the subway earlier this month. Prosecutors say Daniel Penny committed second-degree manslaughter when he put Jordan Neely in a chokehold, killing him. Penny's lawyers say he never meant to hurt Neely and that Neely threatened Penny and other passengers. We are two days away from an election in Turkey that'll affect American foreign policy, the war between Russia and Ukraine, the global economy, and more. Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan faces his biggest challenge in 20 years. Like the U.S. and its allies, Turkey is a NATO member. But Erdogan has much tighter control over his country than typical NATO leaders. And in many ways, he has steered the nation closer to Russia— There's division in Turkey over whether it's drifting too far from the U.S. and the West. That's one opening for his main challenger, Kemal Kılıçdaroğlu. Also, Erdogan has been criticized for his government's response to the deadly earthquakes in Turkey and Syria. Tens of thousands of Turks died. The relief response was very late and flawed when it arrived. Really took a toll on people's perception of Erdogan and how he has run the country for the last two decades. That's owner Ant, the Turkey bureau chief for Bloomberg. We asked him what this election could turn on. 
It is a referendum on many things that Erdogan stands for. And I think the single most important issue that people will be voting on on Sunday is Turkey's economy. Turkey's economy boomed in the early Erdogan years, and that made him popular. But over time, Ant explains, he's consolidated power in ways that worry some Turks and international observers. Erdogan slowly and gradually turned into a strongman of some sort. Turkey's democratic institutions and traditions took a backstep, and some of the state institutions went backwards, be it economic institutions, regulatory bodies. And since 2018, all executive power have been concentrated in Erdogan's office. And in recent years, economic growth stalled and prices soared. In the States, the Fed worries about inflation higher than 2%. Last year in Turkey, inflation topped 80%. Consumer price increases have become even more pronounced in the last two, two and a half years after the pandemic than they were before. Everything from the cost of food to cars, houses, rents, they just quadrupled in a couple of years. And this is not a figure of speech. Very soon, those families who are struggling to pay for food will have their say at the polls. And what they decide about Erdogan will have impact well beyond Turkey. One year ago this week, Palestinian-American journalist Shirin Abu Akleh was killed by Israeli forces in the West Bank. The Israeli military's chief spokesperson issued its first apology for the killing in a CNN interview yesterday. The country still maintains Abu Akleh was shot accidentally. Her colleagues at Al Jazeera don't accept that explanation, and many don't think the U.S. has pushed hard enough for accountability. No one in the Israeli military has been prosecuted, and the defense forces have not announced disciplinary action. Because she was American, the FBI is investigating, but reportedly hasn't interviewed key witnesses. Abu Akla's colleagues spent the last year investigating her death and pushing for accountability. Sharif Abdel Kadus told CNN's Christian Amanpour about what they uncovered in their award-winning documentary called Fault Lines. Uh, Shadin and her colleagues, uh, wearing their, their press gear, were walking up the street. We hear a burst of gunfire, about six shots. That's when the producer, Ali Samudi, is shot in the shoulder. And we see the last shot of uh, Shadin alive, crouching by a tree. Eight seconds later, there's another burst of gunfire of seven shots, and one of those is the fatal one that kills Shadin. He says the pauses in between rounds of gunfire suggest that the shooting was intentional. Moments later, this uh, bystander, a resident, tries to help Shadin and pull her, and again, he is targeted. So this shows that this wasn't errant gunfire. This was deliberate targeting. At Al Jazeera's headquarters in the West Bank, Abu Akla's office is now a memorial. Her colleagues decorated it with flowers, portraits, and tributes. They gathered this week at a church in Jerusalem, alongside Abu Akla's family, to honor her memory. Her niece, Lina Abu Akla, spoke to NBC. For us, uh, justice is uh, having the soldier who killed her uh, held accountable for the entire chain of command um, to be held responsible uh, for killing Shirin. 
This is what we want. Sunday is Mother's Day. It's a big day for brunches, greeting cards, remembrances, and, of course, flowers. The CEO of 1-800-Flowers calls it the Super Bowl of their industry. It's bigger for them than Valentine's Day. That company alone will deliver around 23 million flowers for Mother's Day. And getting them there requires careful coordination between delivery companies, florists, and farms around the world. A new Wall Street Journal video has an inside look at their massive operation. The CEO, Chris McCann, says it takes a lot of planning. Preparation for a major holiday like Mother's Day really began a year ago when we would work with all of our suppliers to say, here's what we're thinking of designing. How does that match your growing cycle? From the moment a flower leaves a farm, it's a race against time. No one wants a wilted bouquet. That's why at every stage of handling, refrigeration is key, from distribution centers to delivery trucks. The faster you can get that cut flower down to about 33, 34 degrees and then maintain that temperature, you suspend life and you can really extend the vase life. The company says the most popular flower choice for Mother's Day is roses. Or you can go with what I assume is the least popular choice, a Venus flytrap. My brother and I sent one to our mom a few years ago, thinking it was fun and different. I recommend it for moms with a sense of humor and maybe a house spider problem that needs solving. You can watch the whole video for yourself on the Apple News app. And check out our weekend interview show, In Conversation. This week, I talked to historian Matthew Connolly about the U.S. government's culture of secrecy. He argues that way too many documents are being labeled classified, and that's dangerous in several ways. At the top, there's the idea that we're going to control this system and we're only going to have the most sensitive, most important information classified at that level. But the way it actually works is that you have millions of people who are keeping secrets for their own reasons. If you're listening in the Apple News app right now, that episode is queued up to play for you next. Enjoy the weekend. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. And I'll be back with the news on Monday. Monday. 